these natural inclinations and passions that I have under the authority of Jesus is perfectly suited to play this role. And I'm going to play that role to the best of my ability. And that, my friends, is a game changer. Because what happens is when you embrace that reality, then God's kingdom begins to touch down effortlessly in and through your life. You might have heard people talking about living their best life. But what does that really mean? And how do you know it's the best? Well, today, Pastor Daniel explains that God created you to live connected to Him in a way that brings hope and purpose to your life. When you let Him harness your natural gifts and talents for His work, you'll experience a fullness of life that can't be found anywhere else. That's the fulfilled, abundant life you're looking for. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Joshua chapter 4 as he continues his message called The Stones. It's a reminder, we actually walked on dry ground here and we were able to stack these rocks. Now there's water everywhere, but those rocks still stand. See, God loves those testimonies. But if you think about this, you also realize that this was a great test for the children of Israel, wasn't it? I mean, 38 years earlier, they were right on the edge of the promised land, but they didn't trust God and they didn't go in. Now they're walking in on dry ground where there used to be a big river. And it speaks to how God wants to take our testings and he wants to create a testimony. That is how God uses the tests and the struggles of your life. He takes the tests, and when he shows up, and when he works, he creates a testimony. Now, for most of us, we don't like the testing unless we realize God's end game, which is to create a testimony. These things that are testing, like, oh, these aren't some sort of a problem. This is God's way of making me into the man or woman of God he wants me to be. That's what God is doing. God is seeking to make us into the likeness and conformity to Jesus. And he uses all these circumstances, but what happens is is in the midst of them, we take our eyes off of what God is doing and we despair in the midst of them rather than saying, I know that all things are working together for my good, even this. And I felt really strongly impressed that I needed to bring that up because I think there's some of us right now who are hearing this, who you're despairing And you're forgetting that God wants to make a testimony in your life through these things. Maybe it's a health struggle. Maybe it's a financial hardship. Maybe everything that you had planned just fell apart. What if God needed all this to happen to put you where he really wants you? See, when we get our eyes off of what we think ought to happen and we say, Lord, your ways are better than mine. Your plans are higher than mine. God, what you are doing and what you have in store for me, eye has not seen nor ear has heard. Then all of a sudden, all of these struggles become beautiful adventures. For the children of Israel, walking in the Jordan in the midst of dry ground, they could have been there 38 years earlier, but they didn't trust God. 
So we begin to say, Lord, teach us to trust you. Lord, teach me to trust you. Lord, what is happening in my life right now is not my preference, but I know that you are going to leverage this to make me more like Jesus, and so thank you. We need to learn how to say these things and believe these things. We need to learn how to be able to say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. The children of Israel have these memorial stones to remind them of where they've been and what God has done. And all of these raise questions. Now, in verse 10 of Joshua chapter 4, it says this. So the priests who bore the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And the people hurried and crossed over. And then it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over that the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence of the people. And the men of Reuben and the men of Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh crossed over armed before the children of Israel as Moses had spoken to them about 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. Now, when you realize that the priests are holding the ark and they're standing in the middle of the Jordan where there's no water right now and everybody else is going over, it's kind of a provocative scene because for the children of Israel, the ark of the covenant was meant to be the visible presence of God amongst the people. And that ark was hidden away in the tabernacle and ultimately in the temple. And only the high priest could go in there one time a year. So now it's sitting there on display while everyone crosses over. Now you'd get the sense, I don't know about you, but if like all of a sudden you're trying to cross a river and the water stops, like you might run across, take your valuables out first, right? But you have the sense that God has these priests holding this ark and they're just hanging out waiting until everything's done. And that shows some faith, doesn't it? That they don't feel like, man, we got to get this thing across. We got to get this thing in there because if everyone else dies with the Ark of the Covenant here, we're going to be all good. But there's this patience. There's this patient trust in what God is doing. And as this happened, Joshua is doing his part. He is a good leader. He is telling the people what the Lord would have for them. And everybody is honoring that. Now, of course, in verse 11, all the people cross on over. They do everything that they're supposed to do. And not only that, in verse 12, we find out about the men of Reuben and Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh. Now you remember, out of the 12 tribes, these two and a half tribes, they wanted to stay on the other side of the Jordan. But in order for them to do it, Moses made them promise that when everybody goes in, the men who are going to be part of the army have to go in. They have to help their brethren. And now we find these two and a half tribes are also coming on over to fulfill the commands that Moses had given them. And if you want a reference for this, this is Numbers 32 and Deuteronomy chapter 3 gets the reiteration of this exact reality. So everything that's supposed to happen is happening. But then we also read this, and I think this is so powerful. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all of Israel, and they feared him 
as they feared Moses all the days of his life. So now with this parting of the Jordan River and the people moving into the promised land, now all of a sudden they realize God's hand is on Joshua just the way it was on Moses. Now, even though Joshua had taken the place of Moses, now in the hearts of the people, this is the guy. This is the person who God has anointed to be our leader, and we can trust that. And this idea of fear is not that they're terrified of him, but they reverence God's anointing on his life and the plans that God has for them. Now, one of the things I love about this is we should learn how to be in awe of the anointing that God has on people's lives. And I'm here to tell you, if you're here today and you're in Christ, you've been anointed and appointed by the Lord. There's an anointing on your life. And we need to learn how to appreciate God's hand on our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because what goes on is that because for many of us, we have insecurities, instead of enjoying and celebrating God's anointing on someone's life, we say, well, why isn't my life like that person's life? And what you do is you don't allow what God is doing to be a blessing to you because you personalize it as if it means something negative about you. And doesn't this happen all the time? It's kind of a natural consequence of the self-centeredness of the fall of humanity that Jesus came and rescued us from. He died and rose again to redeem us from this kind of thinking where everything becomes, what does this mean about me? What happens if instead of saying, what does this mean about me? We say, what does this mean about our God? Because you begin to celebrate the uniquenesses that people have. We begin to learn how to say, Lord, I love that you made that person that way. And Lord, I love that you made me different to be used uniquely by you. See, God in his wisdom chose Moses and he chose Joshua to be the leaders, but everybody in the life of the children of Israel had an integral role to play in the purposes and plans of God. Yeah, Moses and Joshua were the face people for it, but everyone had a part to play. I mean, think about those 12 people who were chosen to carry those rocks. What about those priests? Because of being born of the tribe of Levi, now all of a sudden they get to care for the different utensils within the worship community. See, everybody has a role to play. And when you fast forward into the New Testament, what you find is that the Apostle Paul speaks about the people of God as a body. And if you think about your body, your body has all these different parts to it. I don't know a whole lot about biology. Some of you know you love all that stuff. I don't understand a lot of it. But what I do realize is that every part of your body is perfectly suited for a specific function that if it doesn't do that, the body is not working well. And God's interested in all of us as he redeems us in Christ. He redeems us out of our sin and then into the body of Christ that we all take the parts and places that he created us to take. That's why we say here at Crossroads that because Jesus is real, we're a family of faith, what? Fully engaged. Which means every part of the body needs to add what God has given it to add so that the whole body grows up into our head, who's Christ. For Joshua, it was, I mean, he gets a whole book in his name, but really the book of Joshua is not about Joshua. Who's it about? It's about the Lord. You know, Moses was the head of Israel for 40 years. But is Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy really a book about Moses? 
No, it's a book about the Lord. I mean, you go into the New Testament. Jesus chose these 12 apostles. We commonly call the book of Acts the Acts of the Apostles. Is that really what the book of Acts is all about? No, it's about the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. And the same is true for you and the same is true for me. Your life is not about you. It's about the Lord working uniquely in you and through you to change the world. It's about all of us becoming incredibly excited about being the part of the body that God has created us to be. It's about learning how to say, God, these gifts and talents, these natural inclinations and passions that I have under the authority of Jesus is perfectly suited to play this role. And I'm going to play that role to the best of my ability. And that, my friends, is a game changer. Because what happens is, when you embrace that reality, then God's kingdom begins to touch down effortlessly in and through your life. Because now you're saying, Lord, I'm just going to live into what you created me to be. And what I found is that when you are willing to do that, then all that God has for you begins to unfold in your life. Because instead of being worried about what you're not, you're being faithful with what you are. And then all that you are begins to come to the surface because now you're already living into God's kingdom. Are you the kind of person right now who you are not a fully engaged family member? You are not an integral part of the body because you're so busy looking at other people and like, why are they like that? And why don't I get to do that? And what's that story? This story and this thing. And we get into all this stuff and we completely miss out on, Lord, I'm going to be faithful with what you have in front of me right now. And as I do that, you're going to continue to give me opportunities and all that you created me to be is going to blossom each and every day in all these different ways. You might be saying, well, you know, like right now, I really want to be like the hands of the body of Christ, but I kind of feel like I'm a wart on the knee, right? In my own life, I remember when God started to birth a passion for teaching the word. And I remember I I went to my pastor at the time and I said, you know, I think I'm called to teach the word. Now, I was really walking strongly with Jesus at this point for like a minute, you know, (laughs) And I remember this pastor, he just looked at me and he said, well, you know, Daniel, a person's gifts will make room for them and bring them before great men. You know? And the idea was, is that the gifts that God has placed in you, if you are faithful with where you are, will come to the surface. But we live in a day and age, especially in an entitlement generation, where people who get saved for one minute, they're like, well, I'm supposed to be the pastor here. And you're like, well, dude, you just started walking with Jesus last Sunday at church, you know? You know, you got to be on the step that you're on, and you have to embrace that step. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't want to be passionate about what you have in front of you, but God doesn't give us things just because we want it. God gives us, he places us in the body because Jesus is the head, and Jesus knows this is where you need to be. You think about the great example of, David, he was anointed king, but Saul was still the king. And Saul was persecuting him, hunting him down. And David had all these opportunities to kill Saul because David was a better warrior. But in every situation, David didn't do it, even though Saul was trying to kill him at every turn. And David said, who am I to touch the Lord's anointed? You know what's fascinating about that? David was the Lord's anointed. But he was willing to allow Saul's rain to run its course. He's like, I have to be faithful with where I am. In the same way, remember when Samuel came to the house of Jesse 
They'd even call David in. David was out in the field just tending to the sheep. Everything that happened in David's life before he became king, all of it was an example of faithfulness. He ended up, really, the Lord slayed Goliath through the smooth stones that David picked on up. But the only reason David was there is because that's said, hey, I want you to go bring provisions to your brothers who are in the army. And David was like, okay. It's like he's not even supposed to be there. And when he hears Goliath mocking the armies of the children of Israel, David's sense of rightness and righteousness gets provoked. And he's like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Now listen, if you want to speak pejoratively of someone, don't call him an uncircumcised anything. But David grabbed that one. Who's this uncircumcised Philistine? Think he's talking about the armies of the Lord. And if you don't know what that means, praise God. Anyway, we'll move past that one. But David wasn't even supposed to be there, but what he was honoring his father and doing what his father asked. The faithfulness of being on that step now puts him right where God wants him. So really my encouragement, and I think about this with Joshua, because Joshua, up until this all happened, he was Moses' assistant. He had no title. He got no clout. He was the one guy. Moses was serving the Lord, and Joshua was like, I just want to be around Moses. Right? And when the whole camp was here, and Moses was set up outside the camp, and the glory of the Lord would fall and speak to him, Joshua was just hanging out there. He was like, I just want to be right by where Moses is. And he was faithful there. And now, through the faithfulness of what God has given him, now God has raised up Joshua. And he's using Joshua in similar ways. So my encouragement to all of you is to be faithful and be fully engaged. We use that language because we see it in the Bible. That's what church is. Church isn't a building, it's people. But a church isn't just a collection of people. It's a collection of people who are all lined up with the purposes and plans of God in this world. And you do it together, not individually. We do it together. Now, in verse 15, it says this. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, command the priests who bear the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priests saying, come up from the Jordan. And it came to pass when the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come up from the midst of the Jordan and the soles of the priests feet touched the dry land that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. Wow. So, don't miss this order that we keep seeing. First, the Lord tells Joshua. Next, Joshua tells the people. And then the desires of God is obeyed by the people. Isn't that what you get? The Lord speaks to Joshua, verses 15 and 16. Joshua is a faithful messenger. He tells the people in verse 17. And then in verse 18, they do what is commanded of them. Now, the beauty of this, I think, for us is that the Lord gives us what he wants in his word, right? And a good pastor, and that's why I love Crossroads, not just because I'm here. Bill Ritchie did it long before I ever got here. Preach the Bible. Preach the word of God. So God gives his word. A good, faithful pastor teaches the word, and then we all respond with obedience. Now, I realize that that sounds controlling, but I'm not asking anyone to be obedient to me. I'm asking you to be obedient to the word of God. What does the word say? And are you willing to say, this is what it says, and I'm going to live it out. What areas of disobedience are there in your life? 
What areas in your life is what you're doing not lining up? Because God has given us his word in a book. You can hear it on a million and 25 podcasts, videos, a million ways that you like to do it. You're reading it. And then do you obey it? There's such blessings for obedience. We don't obey God because he makes us. We obey God because God's way of living is better and wiser than our ways. What I have learned in my life is that the things that come naturally to me outside of Christ make sense to me, but they never leave me feeling fulfilled. They always leave me with something that is enjoyable in a moment, but ultimately leaves me feeling hollow and empty and lost at the end of it. But when you do life the way that God encourages us to, the way of Jesus, then everything changes. And so obedience is a necessary step. And we have this here. All the people go. Joshua says, okay, it's time to come out. Right as the priest's feet hit the edge of the banks, what happens? All the water fills back in again. All the water. It shows the faithfulness of God. It shows what God is doing in their midst. In verse 19, it says this. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they camped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Then he spoke to the children of Israel saying, when your children ask their fathers in time to come saying, what are these stones? Then you shall let your children know saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Now, it's interesting that we learn in verse 19 that it's on the 10th day of the first month. Now, the reason I think that's important, because you know what else happened on the 10th day of the first month? That was the day that they selected the Passover lamb. Go back and look at Exodus chapter 12, verse 3. So the idea is that a lot of these events are lining up. Things that God had done historically, he is doing again. It's like, and this continues on, of course, into the New Testament, because on the 10th day of the first month was actually what we celebrate every year as Palm Sunday. He comes in on the 10th day of the month. On that day in the Passover account, the lamb that was going to be sacrificed so that the angel of death would pass over the people was chosen on the 10th day of the month and then examined for a number of days to make sure it was perfect. Jesus has triumphantly entered into Jerusalem, heralded as the Messiah, and then Matthew's gospel makes painstaking work that every day people are coming and they're examining Jesus. They keep saying they could find no fault in him. God is a God of order. As you study the events of the Bible, you'll find that they're interwoven in a way that builds on itself. Today, Pastor Daniel pointed out how the Passover lamb was chosen on the 10th day of the first month, the same day of the year that Jesus entered Jerusalem before he died. You see, God, in his great wisdom, created an intricate tapestry of details 
that point you to Jesus and validate his plans and purposes for the world. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus is Real Radio, and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus is Real Radio at 360-256-4655 or email me at real at danielfusco.com. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Just click on Give. Thank you for partnering with us. Come back again when Pastor Daniel continues this series called Conquest. The Israelites have finally entered the Promised Land and are getting ready to wage their first battle against Jericho. So God is giving them those last-minute instructions. But as you'll see, God's ideas about what's needed to prepare are very different from what you would expect, even to the point of seeming counterproductive. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.